Answer me this. How do you define hope? How do you define hope? I'm going to give you eight seconds to think about it. Be brilliant. Just think about it for eight seconds. How would you define hope? The word we often use, a concept we throw around, but how would you define it? Joyful anticipation. Joyful anticipation. Who said it? There's a voice, a voice crying in the world. It's joyful anticipation. That's not bad. Uh, so you're waiting for something, but you do it in a certain spirit, uh, in spirit of joy. That's interesting. Desperate expectation. Desperate expectation. So already we've covered a couple different points on the compass. All right. Desperate expectation. Joyful anticipation. Oh, all right. What else? What else you got? Yeah, Chase. Faith that it will work out. Faith that it will work out in the end. Yeah. Uh, which is, you can unpack that a little bit. Faith that it will work out in the end. Right? There's that. that which, is probably, which is probably a significant ingredient. And then there's some connection with faith, which is interesting. Uh, yes, Samuel. Present desire for a future state. Present desire for a future state. You just, you just spent way too much time in school. That's right. Present desire for a future state. I like it. So there's, you know, there's sort of this anticipatory expectation sort of thing going on. It's, it's fuel driven. Fuel for the journey. So C takes a whole different tack on it, right? It's like we're not going to try and define it technically. We're just going to say what it does. We're going to define it functionally. And then what it does is it gives you fuel for going on, for going forward, which is not unrelated, but which is a very interesting way to think about it. All right, what else we got? The outcome of suffering. The outcome of suffering. There's a functional definition in a completely different way. Uh, the outcome of suffering. Yeah, you guys, all right, a couple more. How do you define hope? Somebody's hold down. You got the best one, you might as well say it. Jesus, now finally a Christian. <laughs> because as we know, the answer is always Jesus or pray. That's always the answer. It's always the answer. So Jesus, there's something about Jesus. Uh, makes up for it. Yes. In clarity about eternity. Clarity about eternity. You can unpack that one a little bit because eternity is very future oriented, very anticipatory. Uh, the clarity about it and ask uh, what she means by that. All right, very powerful things. It's it's something that we all kind of appreciate hope. I mean, the whole world knows it. I mean, much art is made about it. Movies are made about it. Songs are sung about it. Poetry is written about it. But it's a, <clears throat> it's a hard thing to define exactly hope. You know, it's something about uh, a relationship that we have with the future uh, in some fashion. It took, an interesting question is, uh, how is hope different than faith? Uh, we talked about that like, you know, way too long in my Avada group on uh, Wednesday. Uh, it had something to do with magnets, as I recall. Yeah. It's like drawing things to you. Um, uh, is, it good, is it good to be hopeful? Yeah, Guys don't sound terribly confident about that. So, so let me ask you the flip question. Is it dangerous to be hopeful? Oh, 
okay. So that's interesting because hope is a very evocative virtue, isn't it? It's sort of, it's fuel for the journey, but there's also a risk involved because you're hoping for something that's not yet. And if it's not yet, it might not never be, you know, there's, you know, cause hope leads directly to disappointment. Does it not? Well, I mean, you know, sometimes. So it's a very, very dangerous virtue. Does hope make you powerful? Yes. Does it make you vulnerable? Yes. Uh, is hopelessness powerful? Yes. That's why you have a heart is because it, it makes it makes you change if you feel hopeless. Targeted. There's targeted hopelessness. Targeted hopelessness. And you're hopeless about something, so you have to change. Is that what you mean, Derek? Yeah, or even like you, uh, you sort of push hopelessness as a a faith, non-faith. Ah, so you can sort of wheel hopelessness. Yeah, it's uh, like a, and it can shape the world around you. It can shape people around you and stuff like that. It's a powerful attitude, isn't it? Hopelessness is an incredibly powerful attitude. As we say often at Blue Water, your attitude is the most contagious thing about you. Um, so hopelessness, I think, is, is pretty contagious. Well, we're doing this sermon series. Uh, the eye of the title, There is a God and His ways are smart. Yeah, it still doesn't sound very impressive, but the idea is that uh, there's been an awful lot happening in culture over the last three or four years that is sort of crushing faith and people's relationship and God. And, and I've just found it incredibly heartbreaking over the last few years. Uh, church attendance has gone down uh, in America by half. And I just know, like, literally hundreds of Christians that have just wrecked their faith on the reef just walked away from Jesus. Uh, in that time period, there's just something in our culture, in our society, that is spiritually very, very deadly. And, and I've just been so grieved about it, just to the point of weeping, just great heart rate. Uh, and so I'm just, I'm just preaching this sermon series as a counter to that, just to come speak and get some lies that, for whatever reason, have proven powerful and have taken root. People that aren't that should not be wiped out have been wiped out uh, by it. So I just want to remind us of some obvious thing. Uh, and so we've covered a few things in, in the, uh, the weeks of the series so far. Uh, we've talked about how the world is really a lying cult. Uh, as the Apostle John put it, um, uh, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Uh, uh, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. There's tons of scripture about this that the world is, is a lying cult that is trying to control you. That's what Paul calls the spirits of the age. Um, uh, um, there are, uh, uh, so it's worth kind of pointing that out and kind of expecting that from the world. You have to be a little bit caged. You have to be in the world, but not of the world um, is one of the bits of advice that Jesus gives us. There are great reasons to believe in this world though. We've talked about uh, like creation science, and there's so many lies about what science is proven. It was like, why well, you look at it, actually, uh, the case for a creator God has never looked better, but you don't hear that. So it's probably worth knowing. We took a look at the nature of the Bible, which I think is just mind blowing. I think even if you're a dedicated atheist and really think about the Bible, I mean, not just the content, but just how it exists and hangs together and everything. It alone should probably uh, convince you uh, that there is a God. 
And then we kind of turn to talk about some big, you might call it moral issues of the day, because it's the big moral issues that often wipe people out. We talked about money, for instance, which is a big moral issue in all cultures, in all places, at all times. And we talked about how Jesus wants you to be money-free, right? It just doesn't want you controlled by money. You can be rich, you can be poor, but you should never be afraid. Uh, you cannot be controlled by money, and of course the world tries to control you uh, with money. And many of us are money sick without even realizing we're money sick. So we talked about that and how it works last week. We talked about how God values prophetic revelation. You know, and He kind of values this spirit by which people can speak boldly the truth, speak truth to power, speak truth to darkness, uh, and. Uh, and how that is uh, really an antidote to uh, sort of a style of speech that is controlled by fear, you know, censorship, the spirit of cancellation and stuff like that. But we've seen it world a lot uh, recently. Uh, and so we took some encouragements to, to respect uh, prophets and prophecy and revelation and just the ability to speak freely in faith rather than guardedly uh, in fear. And today we're going to talk about how hope is better than hopelessness. Which when you just say it, doesn't sound all that revolutionary. It's like most people would be like, oh, yeah, more or less, I, I think that's true. It shouldn't sound revolutionary, but but in practice, I think it's kind, it kind of is. It's kind of become harder, I think, to be a person of hope. Well, I think hopelessness is a dark power. Uh, and it has to do with fear and control. You can really, and Derek pointed this out, I think it was an astute comment, that you can use hopelessness to kind of inspire people around you in a dark fashion. Uh, and I think that what we have seen in the world today is that, that well, the enemy has managed to elevate voices of hopelessness in pretty much every social sphere. Right uh, in the money sphere, there's strong voices of hopelessness. Uh, recently, in the in the health and medical sphere, there have been voices of hopelessness. I don't know if anybody was paying attention when we had this pandemic and it was really scary, and a lot of people, um, uh, not not just speaking about it factually, but the spirit of hopelessness kind of took root in that in a way that I think was well, I think it was soul crushing. Uh, hopelessness has got into the world. We're seeing it in geopolitics these days. We're seeing it with just in all sorts of scenarios. I don't like hopelessness. Uh, it really bugs me, and I'm very sensitive to it. But on the same, on the same token, I have a problematic relationship with hope. Mm. Uh, hope often bothers me a lot because I have found it uh, challenging and sometimes tiresome. I've spoken very frankly, frankly over the years about. Uh, how you know, I come from a very depressive background, like you know, suicidal depression from the time I was a little kid. I was suicidal. <laughs> All right, so here's my definition of depression. De a depression is a disease whereby you try to kill your own hope because you've been so traumatized or demoralized in some fashion that if you could just kill your hope and not expect anything, then you are not at risk for disappointment or pain. So you try to convince yourself that everything is hopeless because there's security and indeed a little bit of power in hopelessness, right? That's sort of the dark power. Uh, and so you just, you spin on end. Everything is always hopeless. Everything is always hopeless. 
and you don't let yourself be hopeful. That's the, the only play that you could make uh, when we're being down uh, as a depressive. Uh, people often say that depressed people have no faith. On the contrary, I think hope is the issue, uh, which is uh, a little bit different. I've always been really good at faith, actually. Like, uniquely good. You know, I can take risks like nobody's business. You know, I've, I've never been a flincher. But hope is different. Uh, because I've suffered very frequently in life by disappointment. And I was just thinking about how to characterize this. I would characterize it this way. In my life, the only good things that I have, or I would say the main good things I have, have only come out of failures and disappointments. They've all been on this path of failure and disappointment. This, uh, I, I failed in my career. I was going to be an academic. I gave years and years and years to walk in an academia, great schools, you know, Stanford, University of Chicago, Harvard. I had prestigious postdocs, publications in all the right uh, places. And uh, uh, then I was told essentially that I was politically incorrect. And then four years on the job market, I never got so much of the job interview. Nobody would even give me an interview. Just shut me down. Painful. Uh, but that sort of released me uh, to do uh, ministry uh, more full time because Sony and I had already accidentally implanted a couple churches by the time uh, my academic uh, career ended. Uh, and so out of that disappointment, you know, came the glory. That is Blue Water Mission. Yeah, you're not really healing my soul, people. <laughs> kind of missed an opportunity there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Sonia, I have two gorgeous children. They're fantastic. But we've had eight miscarriages. I had seven miscarriages before we had the first. So just sort of out of this, I mean, and some of you know how painful and traumatic that could be, right? So out of this disappointment, this devastation, eventually comes life, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it, it characterizes you um, in a certain way uh, when uh, you go through uh, things like, I could go on and on, but it's like all the good things in my life, with the capital G, good things, have come out of places of tremendous disappointment. And therefore, they have required hope and not merely faith, right? Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, going back first to the definition of hope and trying to define it, uh, which again, I think is a slippery thing. Uh, Hebrews 11 uh, says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, yeah. right? The evidence of things unseen. Uh, I'm not sure that any Bible writer had a really clear definition of hope, but a lot of them uh, explained hope as if it is connected to faith. You know, faith is, well, faith is trying, faith is confident doing, it's sort of following through on what you believe. Um, you hope for a thing and then try toward it uh, in faith. Uh, Romans 8 uh, puts it this way, one of my uh, favorite verses about hope. For in this uh, hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So there's this idea again that hope is something uh, to do with pursuing a thing in the in the future. 
uh, it, it mentions waiting and it mentions, it mentions a certain spirit of waiting, waiting patiently. That word patiently in Greek literally means long suffering. Somebody mentions something about suffering for definition of, of hope. Um, and in a lot of languages, of course, I don't know the majority of languages in the world, but a lot of languages, like all the Romance languages, the word hope is the exact same word as the word wait. It's the exact word as the words in, in Spanish and a lot of you know Spanish. Uh, literally means just to wait, but to wait with a certain uh, spirit, uh, as, as the Bible puts it. Uh, Jeremiah 29 11 is a, a memory verse for many people has to do with hope and I bet a lot of you already know this verse um, this is Jeremiah talking uh, to a bunch of people who are in a very very difficult social situation basically or uh, living a life uh, in exile their nation uh, has been destroyed is being destroyed and Jeremiah says to them speaking uh, for God he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And he's saying this in the middle of a season of great devastation. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Right? And here, hope isn't a verb. It's like, it's like a mouth, like a thing that you can have that will help you get to the future that God has in mind for you. Yeah. All these kind of verses about it that, that are just sort of chewy, you know, you just kind of chew on that, think about them, and uh, it's easier to understand what hope does for you than it is to kind of understand the, de the technical definition of it. Uh, and indeed, understanding what hope does for you uh, is perhaps the most important thing because one thing we could say is without hope, a person does not function well. I submit to you depressants, right? They are people whose lives have been uh, messed up. I think but primarily because of a hope dysfunction, right? Because the hope isn't really helping them, it's terrorizing them. That hope can do either. Kind of depends on whether or not you have a healthy relationship with it. Uh, uh, Proverbs uh, 13 uh, puts it this way, um, and I bet a lot of you uh, know this as well. It's probably the two most quoted uh, verses on hope. Um, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Such a powerful line. Hope deferred, hope delayed makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. If hope goes unfulfilled in your life, it can really cripple you. Which is why this season of hopelessness that we've been in, in the world, has just killed so many souls. They didn't make it. They got heart sick and they died, spiritually speaking. Ah, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. If you hope for something and it comes to pass, there's nothing quite like it. It doesn't just bring you life, it brings you the sort of life that continues to produce like a plant, you know, like, like a tree. An incredibly powerful thing, hope. If it goes badly in your life, it could be powerfully bad. If it kind of goes satisfyingly in your life, it could be incredibly good for you. So hope is really, really vital nutrition. 
and we need good hope health. We need good hope health in the world, which seems to be something that society does not understand at all. It wields hope, but it is not cultivated in a healthy manner. We need good hope health in order to to thrive. Um, and here's the thing about hope. I learned this as a depressive. You know, depression is a disease. This disease whereby you try to kill your own hope. Hope is incredibly hard to kill. That's why it's hard to kind of break out of depression because the source of your angst never goes away. Hope springs eternal, uh, as a saying that uh, many of you uh, might know. You almost always reflexively hope for a better thing. And it's hard for you to stop yourself from doing it. Uh, some people, in order to stop the pain of hope, will kill themselves. Great. It's, it's funny to think that a lot of suicide comes from hope. Well, it comes from an unhealthy relationship uh, with hope, uh, I think, as a child. So hope is really hard to kill. Faith is not hard to kill. Right? It's really easy to turn faith into like fear, right? which is its opposite. Faith really hard to kill. And it's hard to stuff out hope entirely uh, that way. But it's also hard to make hope thrive. So it's really hard to exterminate it, but it's also really hard to excel in it. And so a lot of us kind of get stuck in the middle ground, which means that what we have to learn is how to take care of and kind of get out of that unsatisfying uh, dangerous middle ground, uh, as it were. My definition of hope is really simple. Uh, I, I would say that hope is, is just looking eagerly for something better. It's looking for better than to Looking eagerly for something uh, a bit more good than uh, what you have. I like that very simp simple definition. Um, and I think that it is clear when you think of the word hopeful. When we say that somebody is hopeful, what do we mean? Well, it means that they're eagerly looking for something better. Um, and so if you're filled with hope, that's probably what you're doing as a, as a person. And if you are hopeful, if you are a person who is filled with hope, then you will find that hope does some really powerful, healthy things for you. It is motivating, it is eye-opening, and it is faith-provoking. If you hope for something good in the future, what it does is it provokes your faith. Ah, well, now I have to have confidence. I have to be confident enough to pursue that thing. Right? And then so hope is a really healthy precursor to faith. Are you following me? Everybody say, uh, sure. Thank you. Uh, if you are a hopeful person, then you're always looking for opportunities. Right? Uh, so you are far more likely to see the open path than someone who is hopeless. Right? And so it's really healthy and life producing in that fashion as well. And of course, hope is, is motivating because if you are eagerly looking for something better, then it's really uh, easy, easier to envision something better. Right? You can start imagining something. And of course, it's hard to do anything without vision for it. But hope is the same thing gives you vision for it. So it has a really healthy relationship with vision, a really healthy relationship for, with identifying opportunities, and a really healthy relationship with provoking faith. 
with getting you to make faith steps, which is, of course, really good uh, for uh, spiritual people. But here's the deal with hope, and you probably don't need me to explain this to you in great detail. Hopes often disappoint. Uh, there are a lot of great verses in scripture about the assurance of our hope in Christ and stuff like that. Gee, let's just be real. You hope that things, they don't go well, and you get really disappointed and heartbroken. Can I hear an amen? Anybody? Amen. amen. All right. And some of us have hoped really hard in things because we are very spiritually people. Uh, we've hoped hard, we've exercised a lot of faith, and those things have still tanked. And so we've just gotten completely obliterated on the inside. Can somebody give me an amen? I just want to be real about that. Hopes often disappoint. So how do you manage that? How do you manage that in such a way that you can continue to be hopeful? That's the question. Right? You following me? Well, here's the deal, and this is a really simple insight, but I think it is profound and helpful and has been vital to, oh, I don't know, you know, saving my life and stuff like that. God is infinitely creative. Any argument? Amen. All right. Says the artist. Uh, with God, Therefore, there are always an infinite number of good possibilities in front of you. Yeah, yeah. Follow me so far? So, if one possibility does not work out, you still have an infinite number of possibilities that you can try. Right. Yet never run out of good paths forward. Right. And that is the assurance of hope that you have in Christ. <clears throat> you do not have assurance that the thing you're hoping for will come to pass. You do not have that as assurance. But you do have the assurance that even if the thing you hope for does not come to pass, there are any number of things, at least as good, that are ahead of you. Right. And you can use that to get vision, to seize opportunities, and to provoke faith. So for the Christian, hope is a numbers game. Right? One of your hopes get destroyed, but you have so many in your life because you are involved with the loving and endlessly creative God. I think it is my body. And that is the attitude of the Christian. It's a numbers game. Follow me? Kind of a simple insight. Doesn't sound like theologically brilliant or anything, uh, but I think it's, it's really uh, practical. You have a lot of, you have a lot of hope, which means, practically speaking, you have a lot of hopes. Things that you could reasonably hope that you'd never run out of occasions to be hope. So there is never a reason to be hopeless for those of us that are plugged in uh, to God. God can always make gold out of straw. You just got the dry straw in your harvest, God can turn it into uh, gold, no problem. As my life has shown, it's like, God's got no particular problem making good opportunity out of disappointment and devastation. That's kind of his thing. And that's kind of what 
Christian hope uh, is about. Uh, so if you want to be hope healthy, what that means is have the capacity to just move on to the next hope. But that's exactly what it means to be hope healthy. Yeah, so a number is If you hope in enough good things, some of them will be what come. And each one that is will be to you a tree of life. If you're the sort of person that hopes in one or two things, they go badly and then you quit. No tree of life for you. You'll be sick. You'll be heart sick. Because hope deferred makes the heart sick. You follow me? Is that clear to everyone? Everybody give me one round. Clap. Turn to the person next to you and say, I hope so. And probably, uh, it's probably a legal requirement that I mentioned to you that we do hope in eternity. Um, and that's kind of like the ultimate hope in which all of their hopes are nested. Uh, because if there is eternal life, then, oh my gosh, like we could fail at absolutely everything on this planet during our mortal life and still things would turn out pretty dang well because we have an infinite timeline in the future to pursue things and to work things out and we'll probably be better capacitated at heaven than we are now. I don't know, I'm just theorizing here, but I think it's gonna be a pretty, pretty good place. Eternity is kind of the hope in which all the other hopes nest. If you're bad at hope, after, after all of this uh, incredibly brilliant teaching that I've given you, if you're still bad at hope, is this one? Uh, yes, kudos to my spa group for helping me plan the sermon. Um, if you're bad at hope, you have to do one or two things. Either you have to deny disappointment when it happens, right? If you're, sco you're so scared of, 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 of the hope uh, busted, uh, when something bad happens, you have to be that sort of person. Be like, oh, no, 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 that's not bad. That's not really what that means. No, 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 that didn't really happen. And you just sort of, you live in this little bubble where you never admit that bad things happen. You never admit that things are disappointing or dangerous. And then if somebody comes along and says, this is serious, you're just like, stay away from me, right? You're just a little too anxious. You gotta be that sort of person, anxious and mild. Or if you're bad at hope, uh, you might be a catastrophizer. Because uh, if you're bad at hope, right? Hope is powerful. So if you're bad at it, what you do is you start using the power of hopelessness instead. Okay. And then any little thing that happens, you turn it into a grand catastrophe. You have no idea how much that hurt me. You have no idea what this could mean. Do you realize that this little snowball, by the time it gets to the bottom of the hill, could wipe out an entire village? <laughs> you know, and you have that sort of catastrophic attitude. So at the very least, don't deny disappointments and don't catastrophize disappointments. That's kind of like guardrails in your life of hope. Don't deny and don't catastrophize. If you're lucky enough to have a depressed person in your life, we are at this day. Malproduced. Feel better. Uh, if you're lucky enough to have a depressed person in your life, uh, the depressed person will, will uh, at least occasionally try to catastrophize things. 
that is not uh, uh, the akitch of you to deny. Oh no, it's not that bad. It's not though. It's like this is just that's a normal amount of suffering. Like, never try to minimize uh, the suffering in a person's life. Instead, just try to move them on to the next hope. Yes, but you're resilient. You can do this. Go on to the next thing. Like how how are you going to exercise your hope and faith now? Uh, that's a good way to do it. And then, of course, be there for that person. You might use uh, five assumptions or questions. What's God telling you recently? What's, what are you doing about that? What's hard about it? Uh, you're walking other, other people in a talk, and I help you better. It's all the same issue questions uh, that I talk about. So don't deny, deny because loss is often real. Uh, but don't buy into a culture of catastrophe. Uh, catastrophizing either. Uh, we've been living in a culture of catastrophizing for three years. We, and it has just made people so sick. And so incredibly sick. So we need to be great and hope. Uh, again, yet another way in which the world really needs Christians to be Christians. Church to be the church. Powerful uh, to be powerful. So, to summarize, how do you keep your hope up? Well, uh, you use uh, this attitude. Uh, if that doesn't work, I'll try this. If not this, then that. Uh, that's actually uh, a good characterization of the attitude of, of hope. Uh, or how about this? Next, hope up. That's the proper attitude. As opposed to, well, that didn't work. That or I quit. Not hope. Not hope. That didn't work. On to the next thing. Hope. That didn't work. I quit. Not hope. Everybody clear? Yeah. Uh, I'd be pretty simple about it. Easy to say. We often need to help one another out of an execution. Right. And again, not by minimizing people's disappointments, but by maximizing their resilience. So we're good at that. We're good at that. At the very least, at the end of the day, we have eternity. At the very least, at the end of the day, we have an infinitely creative God who's speaking all the time, and if we are willing to speak prophetically and confidently, oh, we'll find opportunities for more hope. But we have to be all we are in order to pull uh, this off. Try is the most important word in the English language. You've heard me say that a thousand times. The most important sentence in the English language and try again. <laughs> try is faith. Try again is hope. And when they work together, you cannot be stopped. You cannot be stopped. The Father God, uh, I pray uh, for those of us who are struggling with hope, uh, whether it manifests in just being stuck or sad, depressed, or even pathologically depressed. Uh, you know the plans you have for us. You know there is great cause for hope that a future cometh. And uh, whether we succeed or fail, Father God, I pray that you would make us people who exemplify hope in a world currently addicted to hopelessness. I pray that we would be the light of the world and the salt of the earth when it comes to hope. I pray that in us, hope would manifest profoundly and that it would 
provoke incredible amounts of faith in our hearts and cause us to seize opportunities with our hands and feet.